It's a Bumblecast Mini, sponsored by Tetsuya the Wise. Considering how I asked how certain Sonic characters would react to being asked for a photo and autograph in the last two minis, I think I thought I might make this a trilogy. So, how would the Babylon Rogues, Orbot and Cubot, Infinite, Mighty Ray, Mina Mongoose, and Eclipse, uh, Locke, Thunderbolt, Mechasonic, and the most important Sonic character of all, Fly Fly Freddy, react to such a situation? No, oh, Lord. All right. It's a lot of names. Uh... Let's see. Babylon Rogues, Jet would act like he's too cool for it and kind of blow him off. And then when the autograph asker moves on, he's like, no, wait, 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 come back. He needs that validation. <laughs> of course. Wave, Wave would love it. Oh, you know who she is. You know her talent and beauty <laughs> and brilliance. Yeah, sure. Storm's just Storm's happy to be there. Flattered. <laughs> I was going to say he's just happy to be there. And once he learns there. how to write his name, he'll totally autograph something. <laughs> Yeah. Uh Orbot is flattered. He likes the recognition. Sure, he'll he'll sign something. Likewise, Cubot's surprised anybody knows his name. And as soon as he learns how to write it, yeah, he'll sign that for you. <laughs> uh Infinite is surprised you know who he is or cares or wants to associate with him. And no, no, he's not going to debase himself by signing a souvenir. In fact, he's going to trap you in your worst nightmare for forever. Bye. Weak. Uh, Mighty is touched. Absolutely would. Ray is surprised and moved and is happy to do so. Mina's used to it. I mean, everyone wants her autograph. <laughs> I was going to say, this is, Mina's, this is Mina's life. This is what she does. Yeah. Venetivus is bemused. And sure, he'll do it for a lark. Why not? What's <laughs> it going to harm? And you just can't help but feel kind of icky afterwards like did he put something in the ink did you just sign kind of some kind of faustian deal you, you don't know if you want this anymore <laughs> eclipse is baffled by the concept why you want a memento and you want him to sign his name to it he why for what purpose what does this do he is an alien so i guess that kind of makes sense <laughs> yeah like do the black arms even have a written language they're mm -hmm. a hive mind do they need any kind of physical records i don't know like i'm not i'm not being silly does eclipse actually understand the concept of signing something huh well you created him so uh, you decide <laughs> Locke would wonder why yeah yeah so would and i isn't really <laughs> <laughs> he's not really fond of the idea of having photo evidence of him being out and about but i mean if you've gone this far maybe he will He's going to, like, install cameras in every room of your house now and watch you to see what you're up to, but at least you got your autograph. I mean, that's just par for the course when it comes to log. I mean, Thunderbolt, it's a requirement to join her faction. <laughs> you have to show her fealty and ask for her autograph. Uh, Mechasonic, I don't think it can compute the idea. Like, it, it has no personality that I'm really aware of. And then fly, fly, Freddy. Oh, good God. <laughs> uh, okay. And like he had one appearance before he was roboticized and then destroyed. So what? He was in like three panels. <laughs> what even was his characterization? I don't even remember. He was a freedom fighter leader, right? I so... think he'd just be happy that someone even knows who he is. 
But yeah, he's a freedom fighter we'll, leader. We'll just assume the best. He he's flattered and does it very nicely and puts it with a flourish. Yes. <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> All right. And here's the next one. What would a boom to call and chaos be like? Not too far from the source material, I don't think. Maybe play up the kind of peace and love and non-aggression thing on the call for comedic factor. And chaos would be like this ancient and storied elemental being of great power, and it's just kind of there. <laughs> so to call really do anything. So to call is a classic hippie. <laughs> yeah, more or less. And chaos is just kind of like her companion, her silent non-responsive completely stoic companion slightly threatening <laughs> just by its presence i mean it's this yeah. foot tall looming water thing but it doesn't do anything he's gonna stares and drips and everyone's <laughs> terrified of him and there's things going on around him and he just doesn't react <laughs> uh, he's eight feet tall wait hold on would this be chaos zero this is boom chaos zero. Oh, okay. Okay. So you're making him taller. Okay. That's fine. I mean, why not? <laughs> Might as well. <laughs> Big, uh, looming, watery homunculus. <laughs> I like to call being like, peace and love, peace and love. One of my favorite Spider-Man stories is Spider-Man's life story, the premise of which being an Elseworlds tale where instead of aging in comic book time, Peter Parker and the rest of the Marvel Universe aged in real world time. So I have to ask, what would a Sonic life story be like? How different would the events of Sonic Frontiers be with a 40-something Sonic the Hedgehog and an elderly Eggman, for example? I would imagine, I would hope everyone has moved forward in their lives like so many in the fandom wish they could be able to. Sonic, I feel, would be largely immutable. What you see is what you get. He's a hedgehog that loves adventure. So 1640, 85, he's still going to be exploring and adventuring and, you know, living his best life. You know, being a hero and not really letting age mean anything to him. He'll be crushing 30s. Eggman, <laughs> Eggman, Eggman's relationship with Sage might be a little more poignant. Like he might be a little more inclined to accept the idea of someone picking up where he left off. Cause at this point he would be man, really old <laughs> and facing the very real possibility. He isn't going to win. And then the idea that he has this creation of his, that's not only his greatest product, but also a continuation of his will would be an interesting take on things. And, uh, see knuckles amy and tails having branched out and found their callings and having lived their best lives tails being his own hero and amy being a renowned traveler and knuckles having finally gotten off that rock <laughs> and you know seen the wonders of the world they all come together not so much as uh sidekicks to sonic but as equals all equal compatriots in a lifetime of adventure how heartwarming on all parts. It's weird. I like it, though. While on the topic of what-if scenarios, what would happen if Whisper willingly killed Dr. Eggman? And I don't mean during the Metal Virus Saga, because the obvious answer would be that everyone would probably be dead. But how would her friends react, especially Sonic and Tangle? Sonic wouldn't be happy about it. 
you know, that's a line that once you cross it, you can't come back. That's something you can't undo. You're just going to inflict more trauma but, on Whisper, aren't you? <laughs> but he wouldn't dwell on it. It's just not who he is. He'd just kind of move on. And it wouldn't be a happy memory of his, but you know, life keeps rolling. Tangle would understand it, but I don't know if she could ever fully accept it. And there would always be that little bit of a wedge between them ever after. Mm-hmm. Uh, trauma. Emotional damage for Whisper. Again. She's been through enough. Don't do that to her. No, it's no damage for Whisper. She did what she thought was right and she got the job done. Yeah. You're saying she would not have any regrets over it? Her regret would be that there's that divide between her and Tangle now that, you know, that friendship was tarnished, but she would have no qualms about having pulled the trigger. No. I am amazed. I am impressed. Okay. Well, all right, fine. <laughs> Let Whisper have a little murder. In my first Bumblecast Mini, I asked if you would be more willing to dive into the Kingdom Hearts series if Square Enix teamed up with Nintendo instead of Disney. Related to that question, Sega got to pick 10 Nintendo Worlds to go through with an alternate reality Kingdom Hearts 2. The only rules are that they have to be based off specific locations, so you can't say the entirety of Skies of Arcadia, and they don't have to be from first-party Nintendo games, but they do have to be from games that were on a Nintendo console. No levels based off licensed games like Dragon Ball. One world has to have a monster arena, and another has to function as the cozy minigame world, and no levels based off games released after 2003. Have fun. I'd like to add on that none of the worlds have to follow the story of the game they're from necessarily. They can be original stories instead. Well, we don't have time to come up Uh, with full stories, so... No, 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 no. But 10 Nintendo titles to put in a Kingdom Hearts setting. From pre-2003. Mario. Yeah, that's that's the weird because I don't remember. I don't know when anything came out. (laughs) But, I mean, there's Nintendo has enough of a staple of games that that shouldn't be too hard. Like Mario, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some permutation of The Legend of Zelda. Star Fox. Star Fox, Kirby. F-Zero. Uh... An F-Zero Kingdom Hearts world would be hilarious. I would love it. Like, <laughs> like you join the Grand Prix, with, but in the gummy ship. <laughs> or maybe you get like a Blue Falcon-styled gummy ship. That'd be fun. That'd be cute. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did Animal Crossing come out? Was that out? That's pre-2000. Yeah. Yeah, it was like one of the last. Yeah, okay. uh, originally one of the last N64 games. So, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, imagine that. <laughs> Imagine Animal Crossing South Sora, Goofy, and Donald. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. Tom Nook is your party member. Yeah, yeah. Earthbound. Mr. Mercedes is the summons you earn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, Earthbound. Yep. Um, Earthbound would see. be wild. Did we want to cheat and like count Yoshi's story, Yoshi's Island, as its own thing? Yes. Or is it too tied to Mario? No. <laughs> no, it's separate. It's different. All right, so by that extension, WarioWare, because that was pre-2003, right? Sure. No, but that's wait, your mini-game arena world right there. Was it? Was it pre-2003? Hold on. I'm looking it up. I'm looking it up. It was introduced in 2003. Oh, this is the marketing opportunity of a lifetime. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's your arena. That's your goofy thing. Uh, What's number 10? What's number 10? What's number 10? Uh, Kid Icarus. I know, I know. Uprising, Uprising was after two thousand three, but well, after this would be like the the reimagining before the reimagining. 
proto fertile ground. You can do whatever you want. Proto Kid Icarus, yeah. <laughs> it would be fun. Uh that would be good. So Oh there you Pokemon. Durr. If if you won't accept Yoshi as a separate thing than Pokemon. I mean, I guess if we have to. <laughs> Sora's a traitor and Goofy and Donald are his Pokemon. <laughs> oh no. Donald is a fighting type. <laughs> oh no, this is terrible. Donald used outrage. He became confused. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Goofy. goofy. <laughs> <laughs> All they can do is just say their names. <laughs> Donald's getting really frustrated. He's only going to understand him anyway. Now all I can say is Donald. Sorry, I, I don't understand Pokemon speak. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> maybe maybe we pull out, pull out an old <laughs> chestnut. And uh, we make the Captain N world one of the worlds. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, heck, that's a crossover and within a crossover. themed Keyblade? Uh, yeah. Crossover within, within a crossover right there. It's video game land, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> How many layers deep can this crossover go? <laughs> yeah, good stuff. That would be fun. All right. I played through Tales of Berseria some time ago, and while I did enjoy the characters and story, I felt that the gameplay kind of got repetitive after a while, and I found the level and environment design lacking. As a fan of the Tales series, would you say that I'd pick the wrong game to start with, or that the series might not be for me? If the former, what would you recommend as a better starting point? Oh, yeah, you picked, like, the worst one. (laughs) (laughs) Which isn't, you know, anything on you, because there's a bajillion of them. What what would you know? And it's not a bad game, but... Yeah, it's not a bad game, and Berseria has my favorite cast, yeah, bar none. But it is not my favorite game, mm-hmm. and I would argue that it's better to play Zestaria first because Berseria is a prequel, and part of the fun of Berseria's story is seeing everything recontextualized, going off of what you know in Zestaria. Yeah, but Zestaria, uh. It's broken in a lot of ways, so... Mm. Mm. And that's why you play the PC version uh, with mods, to... probably. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> Fix it up. Uh, things to start off with, I would say Tales of Symphonia, maybe. It was the first transition into 3D, and it shows its age a little bit. But it's still one of the most solid and intricate stories. It has a good cast. It's got the most to me, technically interesting gameplay out of any of them of the versions. If you could track down the GameCube one and not have to get a second mortgage to afford it, it doesn't have all the extra bonus stuff, but it runs at 60 frames per second and doesn't have any of the bugs. Yeah. The recent re-releases are a bit rough and there's no possible Uh, way to, to uh, fix the cap, the FPS cap. So Yeah. The the remaster anniversary edition is inexcusably poorly made. They're based on the PS2 but, version, and they keep all the issues of the PS2 version, plus add new ones. <laughs> yeah, like the the upscaling on the textures is just 
horrendous. It's it really deserved a lot better. Yeah, I I, th- I think it's still a functioning game. You can still get through it, but know that you are not getting the original polished positive experience with that, and that's just yep. too bad. Luckily, there are uh, uh, once again the community comes through with uh, mods of the PC version that do improve it, but there's mm-hmm. no possible way apparently to lift the FPS cap, which is like what the heck. But well, I. Uh, here if you are. can find it, Tales of the Abyss, I would also recommend. It's the next logical step for the Symphonia fighting style and engine. And I personally kind of like it the best in terms of gameplay overall. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite Mystic Arts out of the series, I'll tell you that. I feel like the timing on those is just perfect. Uh, that one is on PS2 and 3DS. I don't know how the 3DS version did, but I do know that it fixed a game-breaking glitch from the PS2 one. And, oh my god, that was... <laughs> there's a point where one of the NPC characters will help you with one of your special moves, except it will crash the game. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a coin flip, 50-50. And Lee and I were doing co-op in a very hectic boss fight. And the NPC pops in, let me help. And we go, Ion, no! And the game crashed. No! So we just made sure not to activate that special move anymore. <laughs> uh, Tales of Vesperia is the next logical step after that. And it's aged visually incredibly well. Like It's still a very pretty game. Uh, decent cast, solid enough story. Music's really good. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. It does take a while to get up and running Mm -hmm. like you don't really unlock all the fun stuff to like the last third of the game and the world opens up. But once you have all those mechanics opened up, Holy mackerel, they, they made a point of favoring the combos and just going absolutely nuts on the enemies. Like if you play your cards, right, you can juggle the poor saps to the top of the sky box. Almost it's, it gets a little nuts. It's fun. And again, it's aged beautifully. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Grace's. It wasn't my favorite. Apparently it's battle system, which is very different from the other ones and closer to some of the older 2d tales games. Mm-hmm. That apparently is the preferred one overall. I couldn't get a handle of it. I didn't like it myself. Aliyah's screaming at me that it was fun. I'm glad you had a good time, Han. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's okay. Uh, let's see. What else was there? Zesteria, again, fun cast, interesting world, some gorgeous music, especially in the temples. Oh, my God. Like, we got to yeah. the first one, and we just stopped to put the controller down and listen for a few minutes, because it's like, whoa. <laughs> um, but it it tried to do something where, instead of loading a separate battle arena for the random encounters it would just load you in the overworld terrain Mm -hmm. and it doesn't do a good job of that. So sometimes your party is locked on a cliff over there because that's where they got placed. Or there's this rather infamous, uh, like old manor and some characters are locked in rooms and you can't walk through the doors and find your way back. It's, I don't know that game. I'd say, put it on easy and sail through the gameplay itself just to get through it. And and there's some other stuff that kind of messes up the story, but I'm getting way off tangent. Berseria was not the one to start with. <laughs> and Arise, only if you really want to. It is a Tales game in name, mostly. It mm. completely overhauls everything else. And 
the characters are all right the story's fine it's pretty enough i guess it's just i have no desire to go back to it again it was there <laughs> and i think it's old very well so i guess that's the future of the series so bleh. Mm. well oh well oh the zillias i completely forgot about the zillias <laughs> uh they're good okay <laughs> they're fun they're functional um yeah you could they're fine you, the overworld is not as interesting they are very much here's a big map run around in it so that may not be your particular cup of tea but the the gameplay itself is fairly fun i'm being told you're just making up titles now no these are all real <laughs> these are all real these are all random um, made up words that were not made up by ian <laughs> but they also, are real if you do get into it and you get through all of Zillia 1 and then get into Zillia 2, don't play Zillia 2 if you're in a good mood, because it will ruin that real easy, real fast. <laughs> like, the starting point is you're in crippling debt, and you literally have to work your way out of it, and that's kind of the highest point you're at. It's it's not a happy, fun times game. <laughs> uh, have you played Fantasia or Destiny? I haven't gone back to play any of the old 2D ones, no. Okay, I was wondering. In part because they're incredibly hard to access. Yeah, well, I mean, there are ways, but yeah. Um, I mean, Fantasia is pretty cool. It's interesting to see where things came from, and it's got a similar feel to uh, Symphonia, but of course it's all 2D. It's just really funny going to Fantasia and going back to like the original, original release. Yeah. And seeing how Dallas plays out of the end versus after symphonia comes out and so many revisions have been done and how they kind of go back and tinker with it to make everything fit yeah yep it is also pretty wild but uh the anime adaptations oh yeah yeah i forgot uh, about those the ovas yeah the ova for fantasia actually pretty good mm -hmm. it glosses over a lot of stuff but it's aged pretty well yeah and the tales of the abyss adaptation very faithful to the story actually goes back and fills in a few points here and there. So I would say definitely worth a watch. Uh, the Tales of Symphonia triple set of OVAs, I hate with a burning passion. <laughs> and the travesty that was the Zesteria anime is just mind-boggling how far they missed the mark. Oof. Like... I'm not going to get started. No, you were no. asking about games. No, no, no. We have, we 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 need to we need to we need to go. Ian. We're only halfway through this. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta we gotta keep moving. <laughs> All right. As an experienced writer, I'm sure you've had to do a fair bit of research on certain subjects. After all, there's nothing more embarrassing for a writer than being called out for writing a subject you know nothing about. But how do you know when you've done enough research on a subject before you can integrate it into your work? There are topics such as World War II, religion, and politics that people could spend their whole lives studying and still not know everything there is to know. So how do you know when you know enough? You don't. And the wisdom is knowing that you never will. Uh, do your due diligence. Like, don't read the one wiki page and say, ah, yes, I understand now. You know. <laughs> Look up a few top few sources. Try to view it from multiple angles if you can. If it's something like super technical, just like hard scientific fact, you know, maybe that you can be a little more direct with. But something more nuanced, you definitely want to try to at least see a few perspectives. Like 
treat it as you would trying to understand a character? Do you understand what factors are affecting them and leading to certain outcomes? And do your best to do it justice. You know, don't, I wouldn't say hinge anything on it, especially if you know that you are just now learning it for whatever project it is, but research it enough that you feel like you could explain it to somebody else and see it from at least one other point of view. And if you feel comfortable enough with that, then you might at least have a working understanding of said topic and do your best. It You can always go back and revise and research more. Mm. All right. And our next question, I listen to a lot of audiobooks while I work, and one of my favorite genres to listen to are autobiographies. Some of my favorites include A Life in Parts by Brian Cranston, Voice Lessons by Rob Paulson, and I'm Glad My Mother Died by Jeanette McCurdy. What are some of your favorite autobiographies, if you have any? I have not read slash listened to any myself. Uh, not really me neither. So I don't think we can help you there, sadly. And next, speaking of stories, one of my favorite topics for stories to delve into is discussing what it means to be human or the humanity of inhuman or artificial beings. There are obvious examples such as iRobot, Blade Runner, and Nier Automata, and even works like Mega Man Comics and Bell in IDW Sonic. What are some pieces of fiction you think delve into this topic well? I was introduced with the idea through Star Trek. Yeah. Whether it was Data or Odo or The Doctor or seven of nine or, you know, whatever it's, they've all approached the idea of what does it mean to be human in their own interesting ways. So that's kind of my bias right there. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of with you on that one. I can't really think of any, anything else necessarily that got me into that. Um, I mean, you've named some pretty good, uh, some pretty solid, um, uh, stories that have that element. Um, so, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if I have really anything else to add, I guess. Uh, one suggestion I'm getting is Wall-E, which, yeah, Wall-E, yeah. I think that that is kind of an interesting one. It's not exactly the story, but... That one, I was going to say, I feel like the other examples I can think of are more about exploring what is the human condition. Yeah. Not what is to be human, but what does it mean to be a, a living being and another person. And while he kind of addresses that in what has happened to humanity by that point. Yeah. But stuff like, you know, as simply put as like Ninja Turtles or Gargoyles, where you have these monstrous or mutated individuals, but that they show more humanity than the people around them, that kind of exploration and juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. But that's not like the exploration of being actual human to go from something that is notably inhuman to human human yeah yeah and uh mega man i i think mega man really just hasn't done enough of it honestly like Mm. it's very surface level just the series overall i mean the comics are the only exception really it's just kind of it's frustrating that it's all so unexplored I, i i would love to i would love to have a lot of a deeper dive into that. Ah. Ah, bring back the Mega Man comic, Ian. I know you're the one in control, so you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you're a big fan of Team Four Stars work, especially a Dragon Ball Z abridged, but what are some of your favorite jokes, moments, and even story changes that they've done? 
We could be here all day. Oh, it's hilarious, and I will quote everything he says. <laughs> that was awful. <laughs> Should have gone with Napa. <laughs> Napa is hilarious, and I will quote everything he says. There we go. <laughs> um, generally speaking, just their comedic timing is really good, especially once they kind of get into the rhythm and they understand who they are and what they're doing with the property. And I honestly feel like their treatment of the cell saga was just a solid retelling Mm -hmm. with more jokes to be sure. But I think it captured a lot of the moments that the story was trying to tell in a more concise way. Yes. Abridged. I know I get it. Ha ha. And uh, filled in a lot of blanks that, you know, only got answers well after the fact or were never really truly addressed. Like why in the world did Krillin and 18 hook up at all? (laughs) And the fact that they tried to build some of that, uh, that end bug cell was literally terrifying for all the jokes they made with him, the timing and the presence and the sound design and the music choices that they made him the scariest he has ever been. That was impressive. I, and I really did not like the imperfect cell portion of the story. I didn't like the design. I didn't like the characterization. I didn't like anything about him and they made him entertaining. So kudos there. (laughs) One of the lines that immediately comes to mind is when 16 is about to sacrifice himself. Where's the kaboom? There is supposed to be a cell shattering kaboom. (laughs) And then when they, you know, take the piss out of themselves with any of the Kai episodes. Those are just rapid fire hilarity. Those, first time through, you have to kind of stop and catch your breath. You're laughing so hard. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, maybe I'll sit down and do a rewatch of abridged one of these days again. I, is, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I keep vaguely, I can't even barely remember any of the story beats or anything. <laughs> I just, I think I was laughing too hard. <laughs> oh oh well and no no hype the i will go back and just rewatch the broly movie just for the endorphin boost because that thing is mm. i think that was kind of like the peak of their movie adaptations everything lands in that version wow <laughs> cool <laughs> like i will i will trot out you lie to me princess trunks I, any possible <laughs> scenario even if it isn't really appropriate it's i don't know the context but it is very hilarious very (laughs) funny oh man like i could almost quote the thing start to finish everything just fits excellently (laughs) and it plays into the own their own continuity that they built for it it's it's just really good yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right and we still got a couple more, so let's run through them. I also know that you're a fan of My Hero Academia, so I wanted your thoughts on how Horikoshi writes women. Many detractors of the series say that the female characters in the series are often sidelines for male characters. Fading on the subject of gratuitous fan service, have one cool moment, then are either ki- and then are either killed off or never utilized again, etc. While I would personally say the series handles its female cast better than most shonen, I do have to agree with many of those opinions. What do you think? Well, I've followed it through the anime. I've not actually read the manga itself, so it's hard to say definitively because I haven't received the in, the direct source material. Uh, from what I've seen of the 
anime, I see both qualities. Mm-hmm. Like, sure, Mount Lady is uh, used for a lot of fan service, but she also has clear aspirations of her own, uh, her own distinct personality. And she gets in there. She mixes it up. She does her job with great competency. And on top of that, you know, the ladies get hurt and not in necessarily sexy ways. They, they will be stabbed and bleed and fight and, you know, get as messed up as any of the guys do. Uh, Froppy is the smartest person in the room anytime she's there and arguably one of the coolest power sets. And I don't think she's been played up fan service. I, I kind of want to remain ignorant on that. There are examples <laughs> that are indefensible. I, I won't, I won't argue that, but I feel like they, the ladies of my hero academia have more to them than so many other shonen series that they have. Like, like there's an entire point where she realizes she's starting to go down that road of, Oh, I'm Gaga for the main protagonist and kind of slaps herself out of it going, no, I am in this program for a purpose. I have my own goals and I cannot afford to be distracted. I have to put that aside and do what I'm here to do. And for someone who has a very inoffensive battle capability, she mixes it up. She stays in there. She held her ground against Bakugo for pity's sake before he had any shred of character development. Like he even says himself that, you know, she was not a pushover. And not in that kind of, oh, I you need the male character to validate the female character. He respected her from the get-go. Like, he was not pulling his punches on her. He knew she was a danger to begin with, and she still surprised him. So I feel like there's there's a bit of a balance there. The focus is on the main cast, but I feel like that's because that's who they are. That's who the cast is. Although you could argue, well, why isn't it just written another way? And yeah, you got me there. But I don't feel like it's as toxic or retroactive as reactionary, excuse me, as some people might say, but I do understand where the critiques come from. Mm. All right. And our last question. In my first Bumblecast Mini, I asked whether or not there were human and Mobian romances on Sonic's Earth. And you said that due to the visual language between both races, you wouldn't be comfortable exploring that topic. Now my question is, what factors make things comfortable or uncomfortable for you personally in regard to interspecies romance and fiction? Depends on the world. How is it presented? Like in Star Wars or like Star Trek, where it's presented in a world where you have all these varying species that are accepted as intellectual and... uh that's the other word in terms of sapience equals like I would have a much easier time seeing a human being involved with a Wookiee than I would be with a semi-realistic human and a cartoon hedgehog. Now I understand that it's all in presentation and you know, your mileage will vary in terms of you know what your acceptable level is, but I feel like, when it's more like a cartoon character, it's, it's different. I saw somebody bring up the comparison with uh, Jessica rabbit and Roger rabbit yeah. from who framed Roger rabbit saying that, you know, it's a double standard. And I, I would disagree 
because Jessica Rabbit is not human. <laughs> she is a caricature. She is a cartoon character through and through. She is more humanoid. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, there is no person alive that looks like that. She is quite clearly a cartoon from a cartoon world interacting with a cartoon character. That's that's different. So and again, as you said, it's personal. That's just how I I view it. Do what you want. Don't don't don't, don't worry about what we think about it. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for this Bumblecast Mini. Yes, thank you to Tetsio the Wise for sponsoring this episode. If you want a Bumblecast Mini of your own, head over to patreon.com slash bumblecast, ko-fi.com slash bumblecast, or become a YouTube member. Be good to yourselves, be good to each other, and we will see you next time on the Bumblecast. This is a Bumblecast Maxi, yet again. Hmm. <laughs> All right, that's it. Thank you.